shooting. Skimmer Way near Lakeland, Charles 478, Tango. Thank you for joining us on Inside EMS. Now the always entertaining Chris Zebalero and the Ted Nugent of EMS, Kelly Grayson. Well, it's time once again to go Inside EMS. We've had a really great week, and I think we've got tons to talk about. But without further ado, here is my guy, my guy, Kelly Grayson. Kelly, how are you? I'm great, man. It's nice to be known as your guy. Your guy. Man. I mean, it's like it has no other reference than <laughs> like partner. So, you know, Kelly, I mean, really quick, I think, you know, first I think we've got to apologize because you and I were on the EMS World Tour last week and uh-huh. we were down in uh, Oklahoma City and there was a great group of folks and, you know, we had an awesome time uh, speaking and uh, you were right there in the front row when I gave my class and uh-huh. was, you made me nervous. I didn't know that I was going to be able to get through it. My heart was beating and <laughs> pitter-pattering. But one of the things that we did is we thought it would be really cool to to do the show from uh, Oklahoma City. And uh, we had a great audience and they asked us tons of questions. But we had some challenges with that recording and we're not able to share that. But uh, I think that was a real disappointment for the folks that were yeah. there. I, I think we really get, uh, you know, we were talking about some pediatric education and the importance. And I, I think mm-hmm. we're really going to miss that. Yeah, it was uh, it was great, uh, you know, attending the conference and, and listening to the to the uh, various lectures, uh, I think uh, Oklahoma University Children's Hospital is, has uh, hit on something that's gonna gonna continue to grow. They put on a nice, uh, nice little pediatric conference and plan to do it again next year. And and uh, maybe if we do this thing again next year, our uh, we'll we'll work out our sound issues. Yeah, I think that one of the things too is is that I was thinking as I was driving home that you know regionally. This needs to start to be a really big conference because when we talk uh-huh. about pediatric education, I think that's one of the things that we're going to talk about today as well. When we think about it, where are people really going to get that, you know, like a conference on pediatric education? Uh-huh. And you think about, you know, like this week was, uh, you know, EMS Expo and there was a lot of things going on there. But, uh-huh. you know, when you think regionally, Oklahoma City is a great location. You know, the folks uh-huh. who were in Texas, the folks who were in Louisiana, the folks who were in Colorado. I mean, these are places... Uh, you know, regionally that people can come into Oklahoma City relatively inexpensive and really support a regional pediatric conference. And I think it would be beneficial for everyone. Yeah. You know, I mean, and that's, that's one of the problems with, with, uh, uh, EMS education is it's, it doesn't really have enough initial education on pediatrics and, and, you know, in, in numerous surveys conducted by national registry and national association of EMTs over the years, you know, that's, uh, pediatric education has been identified as one of the things we're lacking in our curricula and, and in, in continuing education opportunities. You know, there are the card courses. You can go pay a couple hundred bucks to it for a, uh, uh, a PALS course and, and you get a PALS course and, you know, you just get what the AHA puts in it and, and the card that goes with it. But, uh, these guys got two full days of, of, you know, world-class pediatric education from subject matter experts, physicians, nurses, and paramedics, you know, and I think it was like 75 bucks for two days worth of work, you know, and, and it helps fill that gap in, in our, our pediatric education and then do it in a cost-effective way. I think that's going to be something that, uh, a niche that uh, OU Children's Hospital is going to be able to fill in uh, in uh, helping their surrounding area and, and making sure that they get you know better 
cared for pediatric patients coming in there, right? right. Brought yeah. in by the EMS crews. Yeah, I agree with you 100%. So let me ask you this question. So mm-hmm. uh, I know you were impressed as I was with the, uh, you know, the venue and the folks. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, just a big smattering uh, of different certifications that we had students mm-hmm. in the audience. But what do you think your biggest takeaway was from that conference? Um, I, uh, hmm. What was my biggest takeaway? Let me let me uh, ask you an easier question. Okay. What's your name? Right. What's your name? Is, <laughs> no, is that too hard? No, really. That's, that's <laughs> tough. Hold on. Do you want my middle name? First no, no. Name? Let's not stay away from that. But okay. really, I if you think name. about it. I, uh, I actually, um, the the lecture on pediatric asthma and, and the uh, some of the uh, advances in, in how they're, they're combating pediatric asthma or, or the, the uh, advances in treatment uh, was pretty beneficial. Uh, I learned a few things about, you know, particularly the role of corticosteroids and, and which corticosteroids they're using, uh, at OU children's and, and it's not the ones that we typically use on the ambulance. Uh, but, um, and you know, there was uh, Chris Nolette gave a, a great talk on mentoring and, and, you know, I'll pat you on the back too, you know, the, the, uh, the leadership aspect and, 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 and how, how effective leadership at an agency um, uh, empowers us to do good care and, and how uh, many EMS leaders are kind of failing us in that regard uh, I was hit home particularly well. I mean, not, you know, not to cast aspersions at my, at my current employer, but that's a failing in many EMS systems. Uh, and, and, and it, it manifests itself in so many different ways and uh, among them patient care. So, you know, actually listening to the, to the Chris Cebolero experience was uh, was um, pretty uh, eye opening, man. I liked it. Yeah. Well, thank you. And you know, I think that's one of the things that you know when you, when you talk about casting dispersions, I don't mm-hmm. know that it's necessarily the supervisor's fault or their leader's fault that they're not meeting the needs of their workforce. I just think we're not giving them the training necessary for them for them to understand the importance of what their role really is. I mean, you know, we have this command and control or uh, leading from a position of authority mentality, and that comes from, you know, the military, that comes from the fire service, that comes, but that's not what we're supposed to be doing. But I don't think the fault is with the leaders or, or the people that are in those positions. I think the fault is that no one is teaching them the art and science of leadership. Well, yeah, and and we have you and I have discussed this numerous times in this podcast that we have an overabundance of managers and all too few leaders uh, in EMS, and I think that's also true. And of course, in in most other professions, uh, leadership is a skill that that can be developed, you know. But I think the personal qualities that make you a good leader uh, are often uh, innate and and can't be taught. Um, and it's not like these guys are these. Uh, you know, agency heads and, and supervisors are, are actively opposing their, their people getting better education. It's they're, they're looking at it from the long, wrong standpoint. They're looking at it from, you know, an, a manager standpoint, how much is it going to cost us and, 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 and do it straight cost benefit, uh, analysis rather than from, a, you know, a leader's position is, is how is, how can I make my employees better? Uh, how can, or, um, how can I make my subordinates better or make that, make it easier for them to do their jobs? You know, how can I lift up the people under me? Um, and that's, uh, that's a problem that you, you find pretty much everywhere you go. Um, but if they would just, you know, switch their, their focus a little bit and rather than say, uh, okay, how much is it going to cost to send these people to this class? Um, 
shift focus and, and say, how much is this going to improve care right. uh, at, at my agency and, and empower my people to, to be better paramedics and better crews? Um, you know, remember the we had one one uh, uh, audience participant who was who was decrying the equipment problem, you know, right, and right, right. and it's so hard to get dedicated pediatric equipment, and and the uh, the standard um, objection to that from a manager, not a leader, is is well, it's just not cost effective, you know, uh, all these extra pediatric kits cost money, and 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 we don't run that many pediatric calls, and and it's just not cost effective to do it. Uh, Whereas a leader would say, that's right, you know, we don't run that many pediatric calls, and that's precisely why we need to spend this money, uh, because we don't do it well enough, uh, often enough to be good at it. And the last thing we want to be doing is improvising care solutions uh, when a child's life is on the line. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. Because I asked the question, you know, what's what's the most challenging call that gives the EMS provider, you know, the most trepidation? And of course, kids. that always yeah. comes back to kids. So, yeah. you know, when we think about what we heard from those individuals, you know, I think one of the things that was really important is that I asked the question to them, if you know that this is a weakness for you, what are you doing to fix it? If you know that one day a mother is going to hand you a three-month-old that's in cardiac arrest and you're not comfortable with a pediatric arrest – why are you waiting till that day before you do something about that knowledge? But I think, yeah. you know, I carried up on that to say, now me knowing that as a leader, that you have a challenge with pediatric calls or pediatric arrests, I'm, I'm probably 10 times more culpable if I'm not doing anything to help you turn that into a strength. And mm -hmm. I think that's one of the things that we need to look at is the fact of how do we give more confidence? How do we give more knowledge? How do we help people with those few and far between calls? Kelly, I, I don't know whether we just talk about pediatrics here, you know, but mm -hmm. what about needle crank? You know, what about needle thoracostomies? What about those retrograde intubations for the systems that do it? Uh, rapid sequence intubation for the people that do it? You know, so we're not just talking about pediatric arrest calls that are few and far between. We're also talking about those skills that we're not using on those critical mm -hmm. calls that we may need to move ahead. So I want to ask you this question before we transition. What do we need to do as EMS providers to, to bone up on those skills to make the challenges that we have or the weakness that we have in the strengths so we can deliver the highest quality of patient care to the citizens we serve? Like any psychomotor skill, the low-frequency, high-risk skills are the ones that we need to practice the most. Uh, the ones that are potentially life-saving but we, you know, get the chance to actually do them so infrequently that that uh, our skills rust out and degrade. Uh, those are the things that we need to be actively practicing uh, and and boning up on uh, in our downtime. And you know, that's one of the nice things about the way the the National Registry refreshers and and such have have transitioned to the National Continued Competency Program is you have that ability to to go pursue the things that you are weak in, you know, with the three components, the national, state, and local, and the individual components, pretty much a la carte. You can, you can pick and choose from, from whatever type of education you, you really need and, uh, and hit the, uh, the weak points in your, in your uh, education and skill set and, 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 you know, bolster them. I think that approach uh, on on the part of National Registry has has empowered us to do that, uh, but I'm not so sure that that a uh, a regular skills and knowledge test uh, to identify the things we're weak on, like a self assessment test, uh, wouldn't be a good thing. Uh, National Registry kind of did away with theirs uh, because it wasn't giving them the data uh, that they thought they'd get from it, but. 
I don't see any reason why an agency uh, or an agency leader couldn't uh, foster such a uh, um, such a uh, exam at his own agency. Not you know non punitive, totally uh, you know uh, information gathering, self assessment exam. Say okay, you know this is this is what we're weak on. This is what we need to work on. What do you think as an EMS leader? You think that would be feasible to do that at your own agency? Yeah, and I think that we have to do it. I mean, yeah. you know, one of the things. Well, it's just like a survey or anything right. else. You, you you can't steer the ship unless you, unless you can see outside and know which way you need to go. Exactly. And, you know, CQI takes care of the things that you notice in documentation. But that mm-hmm. doesn't really help. You know, if I notice that there's a challenge with, you know, cardiology or cardiac calls or respiratory calls, but, you, you know, half of my employees are tight in those areas, I'm really giving them education that those guys really don't need. But if I can develop a process where I can get into, you know, you, Kelly Gray, and, and determine your knowledge and whether it's an exam, whether it's a, a discussion, but I can determine, you know, that you're, you're hot in, in uh, cardiology and you're comfortable yeah. in, in trauma, but you're weak in pediatrics. Yeah. That gives me the opportunity to build those performance improvement plans to turn those into strengths for you. And, and I think we need to have competencies that are in our, mm-hmm. you know, in our files that we've got to sign off and that we've got to sign off regularly, whether it's yearly or 18 months, whatever that is is to make sure that we stay up on that but you know kelly i want to go ahead and switch gears because we do this is a uh, this is a uh, a shortened version of inside ems because mm-hmm. we're kind of right in the middle of uh you know uh ems expo and so on and so mm-hmm. forth but you're there at ems expo this week i am your first impressions of the conference i mean it just seems to be getting bigger and bigger every year i, I didn't have the opportunity to travel there this year but your first impressions of the conference and your takeaways that you can share with the folks in the audience well you know, it's it's uh, EMS World Expo is one of our, our two large uh, national uh, trade shows and expositions in EMS, and and to my mind, I, I like this one. Uh, this is my favorite, uh, and it's just an it is a stellar way to network, get outside your own agency's bubble, and learn how things are done uh, outside of, of of your agency. Uh, you've got world class speakers come to this thing every year. It is usually in an excellent city uh, uh, with plenty of local attractions. Uh, it's a, it's a great venue. We're right here in New Orleans at the Ernest Morial uh, Convention Center, uh, within easy walking distance of the French Quarter, and you see guys wearing that EMS World Expo badge all around, like we we tend to do. We forget to take the uh, the badge off our necks, and they're they're in the local eateries and the bars, and and walking around the River Walk and and. Uh, Jack's Brewery and everything else and, and experiencing all the, the wonderful food and music and culture of New Orleans, which is a great thing at pretty much any city. You can go to Baltimore, you can go to Las Vegas, you can go to Salt Lake City and, and, and all these other major convention cities where these things are held and, and you know sample a little local flavor and culture. Uh, but inside that convention center, you can see the newest innovations. Um, uh, it never fails to... Uh, amaze me what new th- cool things are coming out in EMS. You know, and we hope to bring you guys some of that uh, uh, as we go, we go through the uh, exhibit hall uh, today and, and throughout the week. Um, but it's just so many ways to, to get out there and, and recharge your batteries. That's what it is for me. Um, when I'm when I am worn out, burnt out, bitter, uh, cynical. Um, and, and wondering if anything that I do or say on this podcast or anything I do, uh, on the ambulance does anything for anyone besides my patients. Uh, 
I come to these things and, and this is a great way to recharge my batteries because you find people who are just like you who are passionate about EMS. So passionate that they spent thousands of dollars of their own money to come out here and do EMS stuff. Right. So uh, that's what it—that's what coming to these national conferences does for me. Aside from learning new approaches to things and the networking, um, you just—it's uh, good to uh, to have some fellowship, you know, and, and share ideas with like-minded people. Yeah, one of the things that uh, you know, I think you're absolutely right, and I think that's what's really great. And one of the things that you learn about when you go to a conference is that the the problems that you're having in your organization. Uh, isn't just in your organization. It seems yeah. that there are problems in all organizations. But one of the things that you brought up, that, I, and that's probably the last question I ask you, Kelly, is you talked about going through the exhibit hall and seeing kind of the the, the new products and the you know the the new toys kind of. And we've talked about this before. Mm-hmm. Are those toys that we really need, or are those toys that people are making just to, to make a dollar? I think it's a mix. I think it's a mixture, and the ones that we hope to to bring uh, our listeners uh, and and kind of highlight in, in future episodes of the podcast are the ones that we think are are, are going to be worthwhile uh, having. Uh, I've I've said before that that uh, medical device manufacturers that market their their wares to EMS uh, know their uh, their customer very well, and they know that we generally as a profession have disdained education in favor of cool new toys. Uh, we would much rather have a new toy on the ambulance than learn, uh, you know, expand our knowledge base and, and, and learn, uh, cognitive skills. Um, and so, so they cater to that. So, and, and we have, as a profession, we've, we've kind of, um, follow that pattern rather than increase our knowledge base and, and be known as, uh, be known for a particular knowledge base rather than a skill set. We just look to expand our skill set or use the same skills in new ways. Uh, and, and whatever new toy helps us helps facilitate that. Um, so you see a lot of that, but you also see some things that make, you know, uh, that make your, uh, existing skills a little easier to do, um, make you a, a better, more efficient paramedic where you, you're not having to, to focus on, uh, you know, certain aspects of your care as, as, uh, diligently as you once did because the technology simply makes it easier. You know, I've kind of come around to, uh, I, I was, a uh, a noted skeptic on video laryngoscopy, for example. Um, because I thought, uh, and I still do to some extent, think that, that, uh, we're, we're all too focused on, on how to get a tube, uh, but we're less focused on how to manage an airway, you know, broader, more encompassing airway management, uh, knowledge base rather than just the psychomotor skill of sliding, uh, a chunk of PVC plastic between two vocal cords. Um, however, you know, these devices have become less expensive, uh, and, and more effective, uh, their, their cost is no longer a significant hurdle to overcome. Uh, and if you can, if you can effectively intubate someone and increase your intubation success rates using a video laryngoscope, then great, more power to you. God knows that as a profession, we need to improve our success rates. And if that helps us do that, I'm, I'm generally in favor of it. Uh, but some of the other toys you see out there are, 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 you know, they're, they're, uh, solutions in search of a problem 
yeah. and anybody who's who's been in EMS long uh, long enough uh, will will spot those for what they are. Um, but there's plenty of plenty of excellent innovation out there um, where you hear these guys do their pitch and, and you think, wow, I, you know, I never really thought of it that way. Right, right. Um, and those are the those are the kind of things I seek out when I go through the exhibit halls, look at the at the new products that uh, that make me reevaluate how I've how, how I've rendered care and how this might change it. Yeah, well, good stuff, good stuff, yeah. man. But. All right, man. Well, let's go ahead and do our thing, and we'll chat with people on another time. We thank you guys for tuning in to Inside EMS. We'd like to hear your concerns, comments, questions, and suggestions, particularly about pediatric care uh, and uh, and how we might overcome some of the hurdles in, in providing care to our, our littlest of patients. Uh, so email me and Chris at the, at the show at ems1.com. Don't forget to rate us on iTunes. And from EMS World Expo in New Orleans, This is Kelly Grayson and my co-host Chris Civilero signing off. We'll catch you guys next week.